Knock, knock. Who's there? Store brand comics. Store brand comics who? That's us. Wait, I did this last week. Yeah, you did this, if not last week. Sometime. Well, well, yeah, like one of... I'm pretty sure this was last week's opening gag. Welcome to Storebrand Comics, everybody. I'm T.O. And I'm Brandon. And coming up with stuff to start a um, comedy-flavored comic book podcast with is hard. <laughs> um, if you have a complaint, you get sent to the shadowless room. Not the shadow realm. The shadowless room. The shadowless realm. There we go. There, oh yeah, the shadowless realm. That, that sounds yeah. um, a little scary, actually. But um, exactly. did you know that um, the the shadow realm was a thing that um, uh, four kids made up in Yu Gi Oh because they didn't want to say "I'm gonna kill you" in a kids' show, so they were like, "Oh, they're I'm gonna send you to the shadow realm." So in the Japanese one, they say "I'm gonna kill you." Pre- pretty much in the Japanese one, it's like. You know, if you lose this card game, you're going to die. Dang. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. So, um, it's like how uh, in a lot of those older um, anime dubs, they're like, instead of anyone ever saying, like, I'm going to kill you, it's always like, I'm going to destroy you. Yeah. The thing is, which is worse, death or the shadow realm? I would argue the shadow realm. Eh, I don't know. It's like limbo. Yeah, um, but if you're operating under the assumption that there's an afterlife, the shadow realm essentially exists anyway. Yeah. So anyway, I'm T.O. And I'm Brandon, again. Yeah, we never actually... Did we not introduce ourselves? We did. I'm kind of weird today. Um... (laughs) My my sleep schedule is still in the process of being adjusted back to normal. Um, yeah, it's all good. So it's it's my brain's all over the place. Um, I also I rewatched Age of Ultron uh, within the, these past couple days because um, watching WandaVision over the past few weeks kind of made me nostalgic for it, and I watched yeah. the um, little documentary thing that Disney Plus put out about you know like the making of the show and uh, i was like yeah. i wanted to watch i wanted to watch an older avengers thing but not too old so yeah yeah i went to age of ultron um it's crazy to think just as a this isn't going to turn into a whole tangent this is just a thought and then we need to get going but it's <laughs> crazy to me to think said. yeah it's crazy to me to think that um cuz i didn't really realize this until watching that thing where they show footage of him recording voice lines for the first iron man but like as of right now paul bettany is the longest running mcu actor other than john favreau yeah i didn't think about that till you mentioned that paul bettany and john favreau have officially been in the mcu the longest as actors yeah i think that's interesting yeah that's pretty cool um but anyway anyway so we need to jump into our concept um today we are talking about our it was going to be top nine um but today we're talking about our top five um comic book writers like modern comic book writers 
Um, it was going to yeah, be top if, nine, but that's a little that's that's a little long. It's a little excessive. We can we can keep it to five. Yeah, if we have time, we'll throw like one honorable mention. In. That's it. Yeah, us. yeah. I was I was um, thinking top nine because originally I was like, oh, let's do top ten. But then me and Brandon both came up with five, and we have the same we have the same number one. So yeah. uh, <laughs> so, and you are kind of I think when you listen because me like i said me and brandon both came up with lists of five so he and i each are going to present two of our favorites and then we're going to talk about our number one since it's the same writer but um i feel like having seen brandon's list and then also looking at my own list i think i think you are kind of going to notice a pattern that like uh all of brandon's writers are are writers who are like focused a little more over at um dc And then mine are the ones who are like a little more like their, their work has been focused primarily at Marvel. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And then there's obviously that meet that meeting point in the middle where all of these writers have done independent work. um, Yeah. And in fact, all three, because what we're going to do just to explain the concept to the listener is as we're talking about our favorite writers, um, we're going to introduce one series or story arc that we like from that writer. Um, to display like why we like them and just kind of talk about it for a minute. Um, and uh, all three of mine, I, I took um, image comics that they've written to, uh, oh, okay. I gotcha. To explain it. Um, we're sorry. All two of mine and our one is a, yeah, yeah. that way, whatever we, we both technically got three. I, our number one just happens to be the same person. But, um, yeah. But yeah. So and and so it was going to be top nine, but you know what? Um, and I was going to make a joke about how like, oh, it would be top ten, but we're lazy. But now that it's top five, I'm like, yeah, we're even lazier than that. So. <laughs> but you, the audience, can imagine that joke. Yeah, just pretend, pretend I actually did that joke. I was going to make yeah. a whole whole bit about like, yeah, you know how the nostalgia critic does top 11 because he likes to go one step beyond. Um, <laughs> that's my best nostalgia critic impression I can do without disturbing other people in the house. Um, <laughs> so. Well, we're the opposite of the nostalgia critic. We like to take steps off. because. <laughs> anyway. So Brandon, let's yeah. start let's start with your number 3. Okay. This number 3 cuz it's weird that we we did like change this up. Um this one's going to sound weird cuz I think I've bashed on him some here and there, but here's the thing with a lot of these writers like they have a lot of good, but they also do have like some bad yeah, every writer has things to criticize. It's just with my top three, I have difficulty like finding criticisms for them, which is probably why they're in the top three for me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like I can find like some criticism, but the thing is, okay, so my number my number three on my list is Scott Snyder. Um, it's a little bit weird to say because I have like bashed like... yeah. I don't care about metal. I don't care about death metal. 
this is the DC stuff. Oh, and I, 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 I think it's I think it's important for people with passing familiarity with superheroes too to say like Scott Snyder, yeah, yeah. no relation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No relation to Zack yeah. Snyder. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, uh, when I say I don't care about metal and death metal, I'm talking about like these were comic events. I also don't really care about metal and death metal in terms of the music. Some is good. Yeah. Some is. I mean, that's Which is, that's how like a lot of music is. A lot yeah, of yeah, that's almost the exclusively the genres of music I listen to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's like specific ones I like. I, I feel like there's a lot of this is with any genre. There's a lot of copycats out there. Um, but uh, so yeah, I've complained about that. I've complained about his Justice League run. Um, how he it seems like he's always just building and building to the next thing and then that next thing is also building and building um i haven't always liked that but the big old butt the big old booty in this giant butt yes is that scott snyder has written some of my favorite like i'd say some of my favorite batman stories and batman's like one of my favorite characters i don't know if in terms of character wise, I like Superman more than Batman. But like if you asked me teenage Brandon, what's your favorite superhero? It would have definitely been Batman. Yeah. Um, I think that's a yeah, lot it's, of it's, teenagers' favorite superheroes is Batman. Yeah, it's it's a weird thing where I have to agree with you where I would say um Superman is probably the better character, but Batman gets the better stories. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Batman has so much better stories. He has, honestly, a better rogues gallery. Um, Superman does have good villains, but you compare it to how many Batman has and how complex they can get, um, Batman just blows them out of the water. Uh, but yeah, as a character, I like Superman more. But um, but yeah, Scott Snyder, he wrote, and this one, because basically a lot of these are recommendations and stuff, um, he wrote one of my favorite Batman stories. One, I'll say he wrote one of my favorite Batman runs, which is the new 52 Batman. Um, it's basically how a lot of memes came about about Batman of like how because I'm Batman, because Batman's such like a uh, he's so B.A. and he's so he's so like awesome. Yeah, a lot of that can come from Scott Snyder's run, but it's so cool though. Like it's it's really cool. But so the new Fifty Two Batman run, I love almost everything about that. The thing I like most in terms of Batman from Scott Snyder that not a ton of people talk about is his All Star Batman run. Um, I just really like that series. It's a fourteen issue. I say mini series. It's like a maxi series. It's kind of long, um, but it has a beginning and an end. And and after the first five issues, almost every issue after is done by a different artist, and it looks like beautiful. Like the first five issues, the art is done by uh, Ramito Junior, and then issue six is done by Jock, and Jock's art is always like beautiful. Um, yeah, Jock is the one who did Green Arrow Year One, right? Um, for illustration, I think so. Um, Jock also did. I, I I'm like breezing through these recommendations just so like I can hit them all. Yeah, it won't be as in depth as some. 
But yeah. Jock also did the art for another Scott Snyder story called Witches, which is to me one of the best horror series. Mm. Um, it, it was produced by Image. Um, it was essentially uh, it's hard it's hard to explain kind of. It's like this small town that is there's some secrets about this town and it turns out like there's these these the quotation witches they're like these weird creatures um, okay but the town like makes sacrifices and stuff like that like they pledge people to be sacrificed by the witches so that the witches will leave them alone kind of but it's also a way of like hey i want to get my enemy out of the way i i pledge them witches go go eat them um or or turn them into one of you it's it's complicated um but it's that is a really good series especially because scott snyder's writing really shines there like he's he's really good at the family structure like jeff lemire is um i'd almost say in this series i like it more than jeff lemire's family structure type stuff that he writes about um Jeff Lemire's family structure stuff is really good. Don't get me wrong. But I will say a lot of it does sound the same. It's not saying that's bad. It's just there's there's not a ton of difference with it. Um, and and it, it feels organic with Jeff, Jeff Lemire's. Don't get me wrong. But the Witches one, it feels like, I don't know, the, the dialogue between the father and the daughter just feels so real. Like, I, I, I feel like that's that's the type of interactions I would have with my child. Um, and that's a big thing with witches is just family, really. Um, I, I just thought about it. I think Scott Snyder actually does a pretty decent job. Um, I think Jeff Lemire might do it a tiny bit better. Scott Snyder does a really decent job at families in his books the new 52 batman run um you don't get a lot of the bat family in it but when you do when you get alfred whenever you get um one of the robins or whatever it is yeah uh he does a pretty good job at the family structure and then all-star batman if you want a good batman with alfred story in it the All-Star Batman run is perfect. It's like my favorite iteration of Alfred. Because a lot of times people will write Alfred as like the whiny butler. Yeah, <laughs> I was, was going to say, um, I've, I've read four volumes of Scott Snyder's Batman run. Um, I've read through the whole Court of Owls and Night of the Owls arc, and then the entire Zero Year arc, which is about four volumes yeah. worth of stuff. And one of my favorite aspects of those four volumes has always been Alfred and the way he's written and his relationship to Bruce. Yeah, I think Scott Snyder is one of the best writers when it comes to like that Bruce and Alfred relationship. Um, Because a lot of writers almost don't know what to do with Alfred or they just are like, oh, he's the butler and he disagrees with this and he's going to complain every time Batman comes in. Um, but yeah, no, but but yeah, any any good writer like the way Snots, not Snots, uh, Scott not Snyder. Skyder. Uh, uh, I can only imagine. I can only imagine. That's that's a good like middle school um, playground 
insult. Anyway, <laughs> um, uh, what was I saying? Right, the way that Scott Snyder writes Alfred, like any good Batman writer writes Alfred basically as Bruce's dad. Yeah, yeah, because that is what he basically is. I mean, he's he's essentially an adoptive father. Um, I think Scott Snyder does a great job at at showing that that relationship between them as well as like alfred's backstory like his background um because some writers they'll just say like he is taking up his his dad's position as the butler of the waynes and that's about it but scott snyder dives deeper into it of alfred was a part of uh not mi6 but he was basically like a uh uh what's it called like a beret or whatever the green beret um, the green beret yeah um and and it just kind of shows like alfred having to shift that responsibility and that position of this isn't what he wanted to do originally but as he got into it um both he and bruce um offered each other something that they didn't have before um and i really like that but yeah, um, Scott Snyder, I, after thinking of those three books and how much he has impacted uh, my like for Batman, as well as him doing one of the best horror series out there, and eventually we'll do a sequel. He's been saying that for like five or six years, but he is busy, though. Um, but yeah, I, I think I'd put him at number three, even though I do have my complaints with them yeah yeah dc keeps him pretty busy oh yeah um, all right so my number three is actually another scott um my number three is scotty young um he he is my favorite comedy writer in the comic book industry right now um and yes i am taking nick spencer into account when i say that because Nick Spencer is pretty <laughs> funny with the superior foes of Spider-Man. But um, yeah. but yeah, Scott Snyder is my favorite uh, um, comedy writer. I haven't read... You, mean, I, you I, mean Scotty Young. Did I say Scott Snyder? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, sorry. I meant Scotty Young is my favorite uh, comedy writer in, in comics right now. And um, uh, I know that he does write more like serious... Uh, stuff like totally darker things but um i haven't read them yet I, he writes a series called middle west that's that's on my list but i haven't started reading it yet i don't think that one's a comedy but um my introduction to scotty young was through um the i want to say it was 2014 rocket raccoon series that he illustrated like the first half of um, oh, okay and um that was a fantastic series there was an entire issue um told from Groot's perspective and in it everyone said i am Groot because Groot's the one telling the story um which is one of the like funniest jokes that i think has ever been done in a marvel comic and it fits perfectly in this in that particular rocket raccoon series but rocket raccoon is actually not specifically what i want to talk about as far as like my big example um I have another good example too, but I just kind of want to say one thing that I think Scotty Young is really good at in terms of comedy is he's good at establishing characters 
especially the main character, really quickly and making all of the comedy stem from that character. Um, my big example is uh, I Hate Fairyland, which is published by Image Comics. Um, yeah. So Scotty Young um, wrote and illustrated uh, I Hate Fairyland um, because he's a, he's a cartoonist primarily, so he, he does a lot of his own illustration. Um, and it was colored by a, 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 I believe, frequent collaborator of his, Jean-Francois Beaulieu, I think is how you would pronounce that. Um, and, the, and the colors really help it all, you know, pop and stand out. Like, it's very, like, bright, candy-colored, whimsical, and stuff like that, um, which, you know, contrasts the actual content of the book, which is horrifically, like, gory and violent and at times just straight-up disgusting. Um, and that's where yeah. the comedy comes from, because it's about a uh, a little girl named Gertrude who just randomly gets sucked into a fairy world. And, um, you know, when that happens, like there's basically the fairy world is supposed to be this big game where the child goes on an adventure and solves a bunch of puzzles and then gets to go home. Um, but Gertrude, like, wasn't into it because she essentially just got like randomly kidnapped just to play a game through a giant fantasy world. Um, and she was bad at the puzzles and couldn't figure out the adventure. So she got stuck there for almost 30 years. Um, she didn't grow up. She stayed a little girl the whole time, but she uh, was stuck there for like 30 years. So when we, when you pick up in the story, she's like this grumpy middle-aged woman in a little girl's body, just, slaughtering her way through fairyland and in, in her attempts to get out oh um, yeah so like like if you look at the cover for the first um trade volume it's it's her with a wicked smile on her face holding this bloody axe and standing over the corpses of a bunch of slaughtered fairy creatures um what i also like the the series is called i hate fairyland but i think it was after the first trade or maybe the first half of the series whenever the comics were coming out they changed the title this the series is still called i hate fairyland but on the title of the book it says f bleep that word yeah f fairyland um i was like that that is really fitting when you're reading the the book of just yeah. how much she just hates fairyland yeah yeah and well, that's a, that actually um mentions uh uh not mentions that that um kind of leads into another funny thing about the book is that in fairyland there's no profanity so every time someone is swearing yeah. they replace it with something like you know muffin fluffin uh yeah. and let's see here I'm, I'm flipping through the book to find like some good examples fluff this and all yeah that. um yeah okay so let's see here muffin fluffer uh Dang it, I can't find... Now that I'm actually flipping through, I can't find any good examples. Hugger Fluffer, that's another one. Um, da, 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 da. Well, I remember, I like, what the fluff and stuff. Yeah, yeah, like. fluff was the big one because that's their replacement yeah. for the F-bomb. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting series. And the first, I would say... Uh, trade volume so that would be the first like five issues or so um i'm trying to find it on the back of the book to see how many issues are in here 
I think but, yeah, it's, like, oh, the first trade, never mind. Yeah, yeah, like the first, uh, like the first five issues or so, all like R one arc basically. Yeah. But then yeah. once you get past that, it switches to a very episodic structure basically until it ends. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not really much in the way of like story arcs um, after that first one, uh, which I think is interesting because then like every issue gets to approach everything from like its just own weird unique place uh, without yeah, like trying you have to that, focus on that a big video story. game yeah. yeah you have that video game issue and stuff like that yeah yeah like so so every issue is just like yeah you have the overall um goal of gertrude wants to get home but every issue is just a new um way for her to completely screw up fairyland in some regard um yeah <laughs> So I think it's, it's my. I was gonna say I think my one of my favorite things about the series, if it's not my favorite things, is the intros at of each issue because like with with yeah. uh, fairy tale type books, it it like, it's like an intro like long ago and a blah 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 like all that stuff, yeah, and that's cool. how like each issue pretty much opens, and it after a couple of pages it goes dark to where like Gertrude is like killing the person that's doing the intro or killing the thing that's doing the intro. Yes. That's, and that's I think one there's of, one of my favorite recurring gags in a comic book where like she kills yeah, the animator yeah. in every issue. Yeah. Yeah. Which I do remember after the first arc, they kind of ditched the whole killing narrator thing. I think because Scotty Young probably realized that that joke was going to get stale after a while. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but I do remember in the early issues, like the funniest thing ever was that like she was she was killing the narrator at the beginning of every issue. Yeah, and I think there was a there was like one issue where like the narrator is like sweating the whole time because I think yes, she has like a gun happen. on him the whole time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, I I remember I remember reading this book knowing pretty much what I was in for, but still being like very shocked by like the first gory moment of the book is when the moon itself is narrating yeah, yeah. the book and she just takes a cannon and blasts its eye out and yeah. the rain goes flying out of its head like the moon has like blood and bones which is a disturbing thought in itself um and organs and that's up. also that's also such a like when you're doing a series that's such a perfect intro because this is like with movies as well you want your first 10 minutes or your first 10 pages in a screenplay to be the thing that like grabs the person and lets them know the tone and stuff like that of the book or the movie. There's some small exceptions to that with different movies and books, but for the majority of stuff, you want that first 10 minutes to show you the, the tone of, of what this story is going to be about. And I felt that uh, that right there did it perfectly. Yes, and then, and that's a uh, another thing that relates to one of my points about Young is the fact that he's really good at instantly establishing a character, um, and yeah. like all of the high points of their personality. Because everything you need to know about Gertrude is that she's irritable, violent, and murderous. Like she's, yeah. she's willing to take her violence all the way, um, and all of that is on display when she gets annoyed by the moon's narration and just decides to kill it. And it's a crescent moon through the rest of the series, but it's a different kind of crescent moon because it's like 
got bandages and and yeah. it's just because I don't think she actually managed to finish the job when she tried to kill the moon. I think he comes back with like brain damage or something later. But uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, still, it's like so yeah, it's that kind of series where you have your main character maiming their own narrator in this fun, supposedly child-friendly fairyland, like right at the beginning. Um, and yeah, like, and, and another, another series that Scotty Young does that I don't know whether or not it's going to get, um, like a sequel. Um, cause it was just kind of six issues, one and done. It felt like, it felt like the arc was pretty complete with it, but, um, is bully wars, um, which makes me think of, um, he's not the one who illustrated bully wars, but someone with a very similar style to him did. Um, I can't remember the artist. Let me give me a second because it's on my shelf. That's fine. Um, Aaron, Aaron, either Conley or Conley. Uh, Aaron, Aaron Conley uh, did the art for Bully Wars, but um, yeah, it's got a very similar style to Scotty Young's style, and um, it makes me think of. Um, it reminds me a lot of Ed, Ed, Nettie, um, but also makes me think of like that gross out humor that comes with uh, some of the like nineties cartoons as well. Um, yeah. like, you know, you ran in Stimpy, early SpongeBob, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, like it, it makes me think of like, if, if Scotty Young wrote an early two thousands cartoon network show, bully wars would basically be that. Um, yeah. And like I said, he's really good at establishing character right off the bat. So in Bully Wars, you've got like your three main like nerds and you have your bully and then um, it gets and, you know, their traits are on display pretty much immediately. And they're fleshed out a little bit more as people over the course of um, uh, the story. But right away, you understand like this is nerd. This is bully. This is the conflict. Um so yeah, it's a very interesting uh, sort of little series. And like I said, the, the arc for that one feels very like one and done. It's kind of finished in its first volume, so I don't really see the need for a sequel to that one. But um, yeah. But yeah, so and, and Scotty Young, as I said, he's really good at, at drawing comedy from character. Like um you would think that the joke of Gertrude getting mad and murdering someone would get old after like the 30 issues that I hate Fairyland ran for, but it never did because there was always some different twist on it. And no matter how many apocalypses she triggers just by sheer ineptitude, it's, it's always funny. Yeah. So it's, it's just, yeah, there's just like a unique way where like, it's always at least like different enough to still get a laugh out of you. And the way that the um, recurring cast around her, like starts to act around her and adapts to the way that she behaves is also kind of funny. Cause she has this, um, like Jiminy Cricket style um, companion. Who's like, he's this little fly um, who by the time we get to them in the story, he's like this depressed, um, bordering sometimes on suicidal, like chain smoking little fly. Um, yeah. <laughs> all because he's been like stuck with Gertrude for all this time. 
So, so it's like it's it's fun to see that sort of like, and and the interactions between the two of them is hilarious too, because he's like the one thing in Fairyland she doesn't just straight up murder. Yeah. So. So yeah, um, it's. Yeah, so that's that's um my number three is Scotty Young. And I yes. hate Fairyland, in my opinion, is like his magnum opus. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the that's the big one for him. So what's your number two? Alright, number two is another one I've I've bashed <laughs> on a specific <laughs> a specific series before, but his other work completely makes up for it, and I can possibly defend him on the thing I bash him about. So my number two is Tom King. Um, I'll, I'll first mention the the story that I've bashed him about a ton is Heroes in Crisis, his DC story. Um, I, I hate what was done with basically closing out DC Rebirth and tarnishing the name of wally west after a lot of dc rebirth was to bring wally west back into the limelight yeah but i will say i don't think that was tom king's call i feel like that was probably a mandate by editorial um because if when you're reading it and if you've read any of tom king's 12 issue miniseries which i'll get into in a sec or maxi series sorry but those series are very like personal and they touch on like real world stuff while still being in a superhero comic for you to digest. Basically Um, it seems like what he was trying to do with that story would have been really good. If editorial hadn't mucked things up, it seemed like he was trying to do a story about PTSD with superheroes. Um, Mm. And it's, it's kind of interesting the first couple of issues and stuff. But um, once you have like the, the thing where it's like it's wally west who accidentally killed these people i'm spoiling this because i don't want anyone to have to go read heroes in crisis um <laughs> but uh yeah he accidentally kills these different heroes and stuff and they're off panel deaths until like the last issue but <laughs> yeah you find them dead like issue one or two and you're like hold on a second these are kind of big heroes and stuff but um I think that was a editorial thing. I think Scott Snyder was, or not Scott Snyder, Tom King was trying to make like a smaller story. Um, but because he was so big at the time, they were like, ooh, like, hey, do it as an event for us. Yeah. It kind of was yeah, an event. Let's tack Crisis onto the title of this. Exactly. Yeah. Make it an event. Exactly. Um, so I, I won't fault him too much on that, but stuff I will praise him for, um, like I mentioned before, is like pretty much any of his 12 issue maxi series. The guy shines at 12 issue maxi series. It could be like he he's the one writer where like if I hear he's coming out with a 12 issue maxi series, you don't even have to tell me what the character is or anything like that. I'm going to buy that. Because I know it's going to be good because I've noticed with all of his other 12 issue maxi series, they're phenomenal. Like they're, they're some of the best comics today. Yeah. Um, um, The vision and Mr. Miracle are two of the most critically acclaimed comic books to come out last decade. 
Yeah. And, and vision, vision's just, yeah. Like I mentioned before, it's, it's real world stuff, but in a superhero comic, but it still feels like a superhero comic. It's not like beating you over the head with real world stuff or anything. Like that. Yeah. Um, but like with vision, it's essentially this guy wanting a normal life trying to live a normal life but it's just crumbling and falling apart as it goes on um and then with something like mr miracle um it, it kind of tackles the idea of of attempted suicide or or suicide or or depression and things like that um while still feeling like really real and stuff in terms of like with someone who has attempted suicide as Mr. Miracle, he, this isn't a spoiler. It happens in the first issue. He tried to commit suicide. Um, that's one thing that, that is, that feels so real in real life is like, how do you talk to someone or, or, or not entirely bring that up with them? Hang on, After my dog they have tried that. Oh, you're fine. Just a minute. All right. I let my dog out in the backyard so she can scream out there. Who let the dogs out? I did. Tia. 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 I did. So apparently that song is about ugly ladies in the club and not about letting dogs out. Nice. <laughs> I did that's not realize that until I. Jam to. What's that? I said that's the type of music to jam to. Yeah, I did not realize that until um, I read it somewhere. So now, if they ever play that song in the club, it's their way of saying like, "Hey, uglies, get out! This is the <laughs> time to get out." Yeah, that's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Only the beautifuls get to dance here. Yeah. Anyways, so um, Mr. Miracle, Tom King, suicide. Yeah, talking about pleasant things. <laughs> well, he 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 goes into the topic in a very real way in terms of because um, attempted suicide is is a very common thing, uh, sadly, in our world. Um, yeah. He goes in it with a very real aspect of it of how families deal with that. Um, how they try to cope with that, and uh, when is the best time to address this with a loved one and stuff like that. Um, but it's not just about that. It's also, it also has some great humor moments. It's it's a it's got it's it's got some hilarious moments in the book, but it's also um, he also does good with family in the book, just like with Vision. Um, it's essentially a a family that's trying to stay together but slowly falling apart whereas with mr miracle it feels very real as as he's becoming a dad and and he's he's uh he's also working um in terms of like he and his wife big barda are at this war with dark side and his armies and essentially like one of them will lead the the soldiers to battle and and battles can go on for days and days like a month or so and every now and then like let's say mr miracles off leading battles he'll like in the middle of battle be on the phone 
through his mask, like talking with Big Barda, and Big Barda is talking about like how their kid is doing that day, how like uh, she fed him this and different stuff like that. It, it's it's there's humor with that, but it also feels like very real. Where like uh, in terms of work, almost just how like uh, it's it's always just going on, and also this will transition into Omega men in a second, how war uh, is almost just this endless thing. And sometimes you don't entirely know what the point of it was. Um, It it, it tackles that really well. It, It tackles like your existence really well. I feel like Mr. Miracle is one of those books. My existence. Yours specifically, Tio. No one else is yours specifically. Jeez, I need to read <laughs> but, uh, this book. <laughs> yeah, it, it directly says, Tio, this is how you exist in the universe. But um, <laughs> but no, it's it's one of those books that like you benefit slash get something out of it each time you read it. Like it, it's made for multiple reads without it feeling tedious doing multiple reads. Um, it's a really great book. And then there's also the Omega men I talked about. Um, it's essentially this, this group, it's almost with superhero stuff in mind, kind of, uh, showing the battle. It's very similar to like the middle Eastern, uh, religious wars that have been going on for thousands of years and how, uh, both sides are kind of similar, but those differences have, have just like kind of wrecked things. Um, and it goes into deeper stuff than that, but uh, the, the guy knows how to write great superhero comics with it having some lessons in our modern day world. And I'll, I'll briefly talk about like a couple other things he's written. He's written a Batman Elmer Fudd comic. Which I still um, haven't read. It's so great. <laughs> like I I remember when Looney Tunes and DC, because it's Warner Brothers, they did that crossover of all their different stuff. And like it was like an interesting little thing. But the Batman Elmer Fudd one is like way better than it needs to be. Um it's so weird. I still have it like uh I don't know. One day I'll probably sell it because I'm thinking about selling my comic collection, but like that's going to be a hard one to let go of. I'll probably just buy the Looney Tune DC crossover trade or something in case yeah. I ever want to read it again. And then one minor complaint I'll have with Tom King, other than Heroes in Crisis, is his Batman run, uh, which I just thought about. He's the guy that wrote Batman after Scott Snyder. Yeah. Um, this isn't the reason I chose Tom King. The, I don't the, really care the core for Batman. Batman series. Yeah, yeah, the core Batman series. Yeah, the one that says Batman, not the one that says Detective Comics or Batman Eternal or Batman or, and Robin or, or Batman the Dark Knight or, yeah. or All Star Batman or Batman yeah, yeah, yeah. Incorporated or Batman. Not School the Legend of Batman. Batman. Um, not yeah. it's not Shadow of the Bat. It's not uh. There have been a Batman, lot of Batman Black and White. Yeah, there have been a lot of Batman titles. <laughs> There's a ton. Yeah, and we only touch like maybe five percent of them um but anyway like uh uh i will say with his batman run the first volume was pretty good one that i think is really good and it's still one of my favorite like 
Batman epic Gotham stories is his war of jokes and riddle stories where it's Joker versus the Riddler in Gotham and basically who owns Gotham basically. And it, it's, it essentially, it's basically Batman villain civil war. Yeah. That, that's really what it, cause yeah, yeah, that's exactly it because villains have to pick a side. Um, and, and you see great, uh, great chemistry with that especially with like the d-list villains like tom king is the reason kite man is a thing now kite man Um, hell yeah 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 i mean like he that was in his book and then (laughs) yeah yeah, he went into harley quinn and stuff he's the one who did kite man hell yeah first yeah before tom king the only thing people knew about kite man was he was the basically the avatar of i hate everything that youtube channel yeah um I'm just like a little avatar in that. Yeah. But that was like basically the only thing people knew about Kite Man. But then once Tom King put him in, it's like he's still a little bit of a joke, but like he he humanized him so well. Um and it, it was just really good. And plus like just just seeing Batman have to deal with this, because like I mentioned before, it's called the War of Jokes and Riddles. Batman's just in the middle of this. He's just, he's trying to help the best he can, but it's ultimately like, oh my gosh, like this is too yeah. much for me. Where the heck is Superman? <laughs> yeah, because it's basically um, a gang war uh, between two factions of uh, like the most crazed and diverse set of supervillains on DC's yeah. Earth. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because Batman has, I will say, um, for as many of his villains as are just like normal dudes who are psychopaths, um, Batman does have like the single most diverse rogues gallery in DC. I, maybe other than the Flash, but the Flash needs diversity to keep up with his powers specifically. Um, yeah, ba- Batman's rogues gallery is diverse for the sake of it. So oh, yeah, yeah. Like so, he's he's stuck with one of the most diverse sets of villains on the planet, splitting in two and uh, inciting a gang war. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like it's so much for him and Commissioner Gordon to deal with. Like it's insane. And one like funny, uh, not funny, but like minor thing is like at one point, like Commissioner Gordon goes to like both sides to like try to talk with them be like hey like what can we do and like uh basically when he goes to riddler's side i think they just have him handcuffed and they're talking and basically it doesn't get resolved then whenever oh ambulance uh shut up you ambulance it's not that (laughs) important but whenever he uh goes to joker's side joker has like a list of things for him to do and like it's a bunch of different stuff. He has to like uh, take off all his clothes, but only be in, in underwear. And he's got to walk through the street to where like Joker's base is and stuff. And he gets to Joker and like commissioner Gordon's like, why'd you like, what's the reason for me having to do all this stuff? And Joker is like, well, I didn't really want to resolve war. I just wanted to see you. <laughs> I just want to see you with, with your clothes off. You look silly. Like, <laughs> basically what it was i mean like it's it's a great Ooh, book. that's got joker. like some epic moments oh that 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 stinker that crazy but, um, joke that he's such a little goofball <laughs> it's got like some great like 
heartfelt moments as well as just like villain moments because the villains really shine in this book i would say batman's yeah. more of a, a secondary character in the book yeah you um, you would certainly hope the villains would be the ones taking the spotlight in this book given the premise oh yeah 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 they really do um riddler's design i'm not in love with it but i do like him as a character in the book and like of the two as it goes along the one that you hate the most is like Riddler and you're just waiting for him to like get socked in the face. And that's that's good though. Like they're, they're wanting you to do that. And you're like, come on, come on, come on. That's, that's the interesting thing about um, Joker and Riddler. Cause one complaint that I hear a lot of people make about the Riddler is how like tonally similar he is to the Joker in terms of like, you know, theme and overall personality. Um, but I think the one distinction that really separates Riddler from Joker is the fact that Joker is an all-around monster. But the weird thing about him is he's not mean. Like, he's mean. Because he, he's the Joker. But, my stupid dog. Um, <laughs> anyway. But, like, he's, he's mean because he's the Joker, right? Like, so obviously he's, like, mean but you don't think of him that way like yeah the riddler is a genuine ass oh yeah yeah like he's he's one of the most punchable supervillains in the dc universe yeah you you hate the the um actually or that guy that's amazing at every point of trivia and always has to try to outsmart you yeah whereas the joker is just like that guy who will disagree with you and then just like make the same point you made. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what the Riddler comes across as. Oh yeah. 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 He's, 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 he's the fedora tipping mansplaining incel. No, we'll say I, Oh my gosh. I wouldn't don't... that be a crazy twist for like, if in the upcoming, the Batman movie, that's basically what that's the what Riddler it is. is. I mean, that, I'm that sure be... that's, that's probably been done in some sort of Batman comic probably. because there's a lot of times because like uh, I think the time I've hated the Riddler the most, which Scott Snyder wanted you to do this, was in Zero Year. I hated yeah. the Riddler in Zero Year. That was so satisfying when Batman was just once like he coming finally, up to him and yes, like, once he finally solves that stupid riddle and Riddler, yeah. his face as Batman is just like marching up to him, he's just like sinking. He's like, oh no! It's like, oh yes, beat the <laughs> crap out of him, <laughs> destroy oh, him, Batman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it was. It was like that moment where you're like, yeah, yeah, let the jock destroy the nerd. <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah, give him a wedgie. <laughs> give him a swirly. Could you imagine a, a a Batman comic where the resolution is just Batman giving Riddler a swirly? Oh my gosh! Hey, if it happened in that zero year comic, I'd be I'd be completely down with it because I just hated Riddler so much. In that comic. <laughs> oh, the he Riddler in the, in the Arkham video games is one of the most annoying interpretations of him to me in, in terms of like wanting to beat him, and the and the yeah. and the catharsis of that is you actually get to be the one beating him. You're not watching Batman beat him; you yeah, are yeah, yeah. Batman beating him. Yeah. Like that's 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 what makes the Arkham Riddler things fun is he spends the whole game annoying and frustrating you and then you get to punch him in the face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
That's true. But yeah, um, it, it's War of Jokes and Riddles. I like brush through all of his really good stuff. War and Jokes of Riddles is not the number one thing I'd say of Tom King. All the other stuff is like number one. But this yep. is like one of my favorite Batman stuff just because it lets nearly every character shine. Um, there's not really like the Bat family in this, but in terms of villains and, and also just D-list villains and stuff, it's it's great. And then one day I'm going to read his uh, Tom King's, he's got a Superman book. I heard it was really good. Uh, Superman Up in the Sky, that sounds pretty good. Oh, I haven't heard and of that then, yeah, and then when I, yeah, it was one of those. I think it was a Walmart book, possibly. Kind of how like Bendis had a Walmart book, and that probably explains why I later. haven't heard about it. Yeah, exactly. But I heard it was really good. And then uh, once that um, that Adam Strange book is finished, I'm definitely picking that up because that's his his more recent twelve uh, issue maxi series. Uh, I was gonna say Adam Strange sounds like it's right up his alley. Oh yeah, yeah, it looks great. But yeah. Tom King's my number two. All right. Um, all right, so here's my number two. And I'm going to preface this by saying, I actually looked at my shelf just to confirm this. I'm going to kill that dog. So anyway, <clears throat> as I was saying, for my number two, um, I looked at my shelf to confirm this. And... Um, the, the thing is, I have actually only read one comic by this writer. But the comic by itself has been like, had such an impact on me um, that I can't not list him as one of my favorite writers. Um, and that yeah. writer is Donnie Cates. Um, which I want to read Donnie Cates' Venom run because I've heard it's actually pretty good. And I want to read his run on Thor. Um, I just have to finish the Jason Aaron run for for Thor. Read for... Cosmic Ghost Rider too. It's really good. Oh, that's right. He did that one. Uh, right. I keep forgetting he did he did the Thanos thing where that was introduced. Yeah. Um, yeah. Eventually, I'll read the Thanos thing. Yeah. But uh, I've read all the Cosmic Ghost Rider stuff. Yeah. So he he does a lot of like the big cosmic stuff um, in Marvel in particular. But what I want to talk about isn't a Marvel book. Um, it's another thing that has actually a lot of cosmic characters in it um, and takes place on a cosmic scale. But as with any good story, it's, you know, personal. It's a, it's a personal story. Um, and that is God country is what I want to talk about. Um, and there have been announcements made like within the past year that uh, Kate's is working on another series with image related to god country i think called Wereworld, um which i don't think it's continuing the god country story it's just kind of taking place within the same world and i'm cool with that i i want to see more of because god country has a really interesting world and mythology to it but um it doesn't go super in depth to explore that because it just uses what it needs um, for the story it's telling, um, which is, you know, how it should be done. Um, yeah. Because one thing that I think a lot of writers, especially fantasy writers, don't realize is that you can have all the world building you want in your story. But if it um, isn't relevant to what to, to like the actual content of the story, then it's just there for filler. 
Um, so, and, and, and Donny Cates is really good at making sure that um, a world feels full without actually having to fill it in himself because he only introduces what's relevant to the story um, and then blows that story up to a massive size. And that's what makes it feel so much bigger. Not like the sheer volume of things happening, but the sheer size of the things that are happening. Um, so God Country is a story of, hang on, let me flip in the book. Because like right at the, at the beginning of the, um, the trade paperback volume for it, uh, on one of the first pages, it says for dad. So you can tell that um, this is pretty heavily inspired by his own personal life experiences. Um, yeah. Because, and the genre listed on the back of the book, because Image always lists the genre of the book that they're publishing, because they don't just publish superhero stuff. Um, up in the upper left corner on the back cover of the book, its genre is listed as epic Texan battle fantasy. <laughs> So, um, but it's about um, a man named Emmett, who, uh, he's an old man, um, basically uh, dying of Alzheimer's. Um, So he can't really remember who he is or what's going on around him. Um, He can't even really recognize his own son or his uh, grandchildren, granddaughter. He doesn't have multiple grandchildren. He's got a granddaughter. Like he doesn't even recognize his own family. Um, and the story starts when his son is kind of, you know, coming around to try to start taking care of him. But um, that is difficult because the Alzheimer's has reduced him to basically just like all of the worst parts that could be left of a person because he's confused and um that you know that's just kind of what alzheimer's does um so what ends up happening is this storm ends up ripping through texas because that's where this takes place and um kind of destroys the house that they're living in and um in this storm a giant like magic glowing sword just kind of whips through and Emmett picks it up. Um, and as he, it, because there's like this monster in the storm that's coming through um, and it's going to attack them. So, and Emmett picks up the sword and as he takes hold of it, his mind is restored. He has everything back. He has, he has himself back and um, he slays the monster and uh, defends his family. And um, the, basically the story of the book is this sword that he's holding is a god. It's the god of blades named Valofax. And um, it explains itself to him as basically like uh, as the god of blades, like it exists in every blade in existence. Everything from like a shaving razor to a battle axe to a kitchen knife. Like it, it exists within all blades because it's the god of blades. So um, you get this uh, this story 
where the gods whose designs are very Jack Kirby inspired, I might say, uh, Jeff Shaw, who illustrated this book, did a fantastic job of like presenting Kirby-esque cosmic god designs that still look like they were designed today, um, which is a weird balance to, to strike because everything Kirby designed looks like the most 60s bonkers comic book thing you've ever seen. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's very interesting. So you get the story of like these Jack Kirby style gods coming to earth, trying to get the sword back and, um, Emmett for very obvious reasons, won't give it up. He won't let go of it because if he lets go of the sword, um, he's gonna lose himself again. And he doesn't want to do that. And it is it is a tearjerker of a book. Um, I cry every time I read it. Um, and it's um, just a really interesting um, exploration of um, a character and, you know, exploring the question of like, like, who are we really if we don't have ourselves anymore you know what i mean so it's 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 a very somber um uh exploration um told by by way of um like a a action fantasy kind of superhero-ish sort of book there there are no crazy costumes other than what the gods are wearing but you wouldn't really consider that a costume it's more like armor like it's not like a superhero book in the strictest sense, but it uses a lot of the tropes and um, uh, like standards of superhero action to tell its story. And like I said, it feels like a very personal story. Like you can feel the life experience in this book. So yeah, um, and that's why. That's why after reading only one title, six issues of work from this writer, he is one of my favorites. Donny Cates is a great writer. Yeah, I had uh, one guy in my honorable mention that was similar in the case where, like, he's only written two comics, but both are so great and amazing. But it's like, he hasn't written more and if if he one day i hope he gets to write more i he'll definitely be in like the top three of mine but uh but yeah i had one writer though similar to you where like one story just hits you so strong to where it's like this is an amazing writer so yeah i get what you mean yeah let's get into uh honorable mentions then um i know i've got like i want to say about two honorable mentions maybe two or three that i want to bring up just as like a quick you know hey here's some stuff to check out from these guys yeah i've got uh i've got a few but i'll try to just mostly talk about one yeah all right so who's um who's your honorable mentions then okay so the main one i want to talk about he's not even in my top five but like whenever I was making the top five list originally, he didn't make number five or number four, but like he's one that has to be mentioned because I I just really 
I want to see more stuff from this guy. Um, it's Max Landis. Um, he's very 50-50 in terms of people liking his personality or not, which yeah. I understand it. Um, and he went through the past couple years through a, a cancel a cancellation, essentially, okay. in terms of his life. So that's why you don't really see much from him nowadays. Um, you see some of his YouTube stuff. That's about it. But in terms of his writing, he does still write some movies and stuff. I think he recently, a Chloe Grace Moretz movie came out that he had written. Um, not the Tom and Jerry movie. Oh, I was about to it dang it, you, beat, you beat me by a second. No, no, no. <laughs> It's like she's like a. I was, I was trying like, to remember whether or not that was Chloe Grace Moretz and Tom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, not that. But um, the guy is just like a phenomenal writer. Like, um, yes, you might not like his personality. Um, some of the allegations are possibly true, but the guy does have a very distinct and unique writing style um, that I think does uh, need to be mentioned. Um, and in some cases, this is like a brief cancellation thing. You can like throw this out if you want to. But like in some cancellation stuff, and we talked about cancel culture before, I, we, for the most part, I don't like cancel culture because um as a Christian, as me as a Christian, um, a major thing that is taught in the Bible as you're growing up is the act of forgiveness. Yeah. And cancel culture doesn't allow for that. They shun you for forgiving someone. That doesn't mean you for, you entirely forget what happened. And it doesn't mean entirely that you can get their trust back. But um yeah, cancel culture just doesn't allow forgiveness, and it's just it's a little bit weird. Um, you can't have yeah, growth I, in people if I, there's no forgiveness. Yeah, I was I was also raised in a Christian church environment, and you know, forgiveness is one of the the key, um, like that one is one of the core values and virtues of um, the Christian belief. That you know, yeah. that there is one of one of the um, like core tenets is that there is no such thing as unforgivable um and yeah like you said cancel culture um has you know deemed things you know has has deemed people as unforgivable um once they cross a certain threshold which um i'm, I'm gonna be honest if it like there are certain things where like um for example like the me too movement um, if, if it's something where like you are using your professional stance or your professional standing to take advantage of people like that, then obviously you should lose that. Yeah. Yeah. Standing. Yeah. Um, but like, if it's something like, like a stupid tweet someone made a couple of years ago and in years since they've obviously become a very different person then Yeah that's that's foolishness to cancel someone over something like that yeah i think a, a big thing is yes like it's, it's not like someone should just like 
not have any punishment for their actions. Your actions have consequences. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a major thing throughout life. That's a major thing. If we're talking in a Christian sense that you see in the Bible a lot, um, whenever people would go against or walk against, um, what God had laid out for them, um, there were consequences with those actions. Um, but not even looking at it in that sense, that's, that's a major thing is there's consequences with your actions. And for a lot of people, once those consequences go into effect, it will change them. Um, hopefully for the better. And, and, and a lot of times it does, it, it changes the person, makes them better. You grow as a person. It's not like at age 20, you're perfect. And then, you're going to be like that the rest of your life. No, like there's, there's growth yeah. um, throughout your life. Um, I think that's just a major thing that cancel culture, most of cancel culture. Now we'll say there, yeah. there is like some exceptions, but a lot of cancel culture just doesn't allow for growth of yeah. a person. Yeah. Um, um, cause, cause the only complete people are dead um exactly yeah and and cancel culture doesn't take into consideration the fact that people do change no one stays the same yeah Yeah. when it comes to cancel culture they they look at who you were and believe that's who you are Um, yeah exactly and it's like um uh aaron hansen of the game grumps once once said this kind of as like a throwaway joke but it actually has um a lot of like I feel real world like pertinence and meaning. Yeah. And that is uh, you can't just turn to like page 750 in the book of my life and think, you know, me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and he said that as a joke, but like, I feel like, ah, there's some reality to that. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's some truth to that. Yeah. But anyway, on the <laughs> trying to, yeah, I, I don't know whether or not that it. it may or may not. Yeah. That's fine. But um, it, it leads me into Max Landis in the sense that, like, uh, I hope one day he does get some opportunities to write. Um, he's, he still writes movies and stuff. I'm talking about specifically comics, even if it's, like, he self-publishes or something. Because the guy is one of the most creative people out there. Um, if you read any of his writings or, or anything like that. His movies are 50-50. I will give you that. But a lot of times they get changed through the editorial process of making a movie. Yeah. Um, whereas if you go back and read the original script, it's like, okay, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I was going to um, say the the movies that we see on the screen are almost never like the final script yeah. as it was written anyway. Yeah, he said one of his one of the movies that has been closest to the original script was Chronicle. He said it was about 70 to 80% like the script. Okay. I was, I was going to ask if I've seen anything that he's, uh, he's written and I have. So (laughs) yeah, he's, that's, that's like his big, um, that's the big thing that like kind of made him, um, was Chronicle. He's also written, American Ultra, which is a meh movie. He's written Victor Frankenstein with Daniel okay, I, Radcliffe. I saw that one. I, I didn't see that one. It's um, um it's 
uh, you know, it's a little bland. It's, yeah, it's yeah. basically just it a was, re- yeah. it's basically just a retelling of Frankenstein, but kind of yeah, from Igor's yeah. perspective. Yeah, exactly. That's what I figured it was. But um, I'll say with this, the guy from all the stuff that I've read that he's written in comic form is like he's batting at I don't know. I don't know bat statistics. He's whatever it is. Whatever's a hundred percent. He's 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 batting at a at a at a. He's it's like really high. <laughs> that was something. That was something I used to like know and care about back in like middle school and high school was like sports stuff. I know it's like RBI. I'll just say his RBI is really good. That I don't like know what is a good of. RBI. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's red blood intake. And takes a bunch <laughs> of red blood. <laughs> so what's uh what's the X-ray say, Doc? Well, um, it's looking like you're suffering from a case of uh, RBI. <laughs> oh no, RBI? What's that? Um, rib bleeding inside. <laughs> <laughs> the eye is just inside. Oh, thank goodness <laughs> it's not RBO. Rib bleeding outside. Ah, but you see the the blood inside your ribs is mixing with the 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 inside of the rib stuff and uh making it into bad things so uh, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to drill holes in your ribs and suck it out (laughs) all right could you imagine Um, a doctor that was that inept it's just like oh my god yeah you got blood in your ribs gotta drill holes and suck it out that's Uh, okay i'm making myself uncomfortable talking about that yeah, that makes me think of the doctor from the Truman Show. If you've ever seen the Truman Show, I have, uh, but it's been years. Yeah, at, at one point, like Truman goes to his like quotations wife because like all of this is like a yeah. it's a movie basically. Yeah, yeah, um, I, I remember that the in the trailer. That's not a spoiler. Yeah, but he goes to his wife's workplace, which she's a quotations nurse in surgery. She's a nurse, uh, a surgeon nurse. And he's like watching from the outside and they're all, everyone in the surgeon operating room is just like, like, uh, they're like sweating basically. Cause they're not real surgeons. They're just actors and stuff. And, <laughs> and they have to like keep him thinking that this is all real. And they're like starting to like make an incision on this lady's knee. <laughs> and like, she starts to like pop up cause she's an actor as well. And they're like, Oh, Oh, all right, we need to close the curtains. No, <laughs> no need to see anything. Anyway, that was a random little side tangent. Yeah, Max Landis. Um, right, right. Some well, of the honorable that... mentions are where we're getting derailed of all places. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Max Landis, some of the best stuff that he's written. Um, one thing I'll mention: he's written. I highly recommend this comic series. He's written an issue of Adventures of Superman. Um, this is like a comic series between like 2013 and 2017, I think. Um, and each issue was like a, a standalone Superman tell, basically, by different writers, like different big writers and stuff. Um, and Max Landis wrote one where it was like Superman's kind of fresh in Metropolis. And Joker is kind of new. And he comes over to Metropolis to try to do some stuff. And pretty much most of the comic is a conversation between Superman and Joker on a roof in Metropolis as Joker's like set up a bunch of bombs and stuff in Metropolis. And like 
it's basically like as the comic goes along like superman like breaking down the joker not in terms of like the joker's like crying at the end but like it's more like superman is able to handle the joker a little bit better um and then by the end after because by the end he's like look get out of my city (laughs) you go do this stuff in gotham like (laughs) stay out of metropolis um and eventually like he like superman like goes to the bat cave and he's basically like what the heck are you doing batman you need a tighter grip on this and like batman was like it was all a test i wanted to see how you would react to the joker of course and yeah yeah he's like i wanted to see how you'd react to the joker and you failed and superman's like dude shut up you (laughs) douche (laughs) like something i mean like that's that's paraphrasing big time but like it's it's so good and also in terms of superman um he's written one of my favorites if not my favorite superman story which is superman american alien which really tackles the clark kent side of superman because everyone likes to focus on the alien side but you got to remember he was a baby when he crash land so Superman mostly knows Kansas and farm life and, and living as a quotations human growing up um, as he's having these Superman like changes and he's developing into Superman. But um, it's a very like humanistic book of Superman. That, that's why really um, great. Th- there, that's why there is like one particular Superman story that I take issue with what, cause you mentioned like, um, everybody likes to focus on the alien, but you know he's for all intents and purposes he's an American human. He, he grew up in yeah, Canada. yeah. So that's that's why um, as critically acclaimed and universally beloved as this story is, I take issue with for the man who has everything, which I think was an Alan Moore story originally, yeah, yeah. and it was adapted to a Justice League episode, I think. Um, yeah, where superman's trapped in a dream where his like ideal life is getting to live on krypton with like a wife and son there but and yeah it's a great issue or a a great um i i saw the show it's a great episode and it's deep for a cartoon show but yeah like what you're saying yeah all, all i can think is for me from what i know of clark kent because he didn't know he was kyle l till he was an adult he like he's yeah. been clark kent his entire life so for me for clark kent i feel like his ideal life would be living on a farm and, and yeah ra- it doesn't like, seem like with his, a wife and child there yeah it doesn't seem like the way that clark kent grew up his ideal life would be living on krypton and it hasn't been destroyed and he has a family yeah like that seems yeah like as and great to, as to an be, episode that was to be it, totally it's a honest bit odd. To be totally honest, given everything we know about his upbringing, there's nothing that leads me to believe he isn't already living his ideal life. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, super Superman is doing everything that um, Martha and Jonathan basically taught him to do with his power. Yeah. Like, he's oh, already yeah. kind of living the life he thinks he's supposed to be living. Yeah. So the, the, I so that's why I take issues with things like like stories like that where it's like yeah you know, it, it focuses point. so heavily on the fact that he's an alien that it just completely forgets the fact that he's been a human his whole life. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, for sure. And like, uh, yeah, that series is just great at showing like, Hey, this, this is Clark Kent. Like his, his alter ego is Superman, but the man is Clark Kent. Yeah. Um, and even when he is Superman, he is like, he has the, he has what has been up the upbringing of Clark Kent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and he does a, an amazing job. Max Landis does an amazing job of showing that. It's only a seven-issue series. Um, and then one last series he did was called Green Valley. It was for Image. And it's like a, a medieval-type uh, series um, where this kingdom, there's these like four knights, four soldiers, basically. This, they're knights of this kingdom, and the kingdom gets destroyed, basically. Um, and they're really the only four that are left and for like a year um, they're just kind of like sulking and licking their wounds and trying to cope with this and the lives and the loved ones that were lost Um, and then some crazy stuff starts happening um, as a wizard uh, comes about into a valley and they get hired as mercenaries in this this village slash valley and I don't want to spoil anything but it's amazing the direction he goes with it. The wizard comes up to them and says, Would you join me on my quest to defeat the Dark Lord? For I am Usador, <laughs> wizard of the twelfth realm of Ephesius, champion of the great halls of Tarakas, manipulator of magical delights, uh, devourer of chaos. Oh, wait, Champion of the Great Halls of Tarakis comes at this part. I said that too early. Um, <laughs> known to the elves as Fiang Yalak, known to the dwarves as Zonin Hoogstanges, and known in the Northeast as Gaswinius Maystar. I will that say wizard. this, you'll be surprised. No, no, no. You'll be surprised at, like, what he does with the wizard and, like, who the wizard is and stuff and where the series goes from that. It's really good. Um but yeah, Max Landis, I'll just leave him as my my one honorable mention. There's oh, a bunch of others, but he's one that needs to be mentioned. Yeah, I've got, um, I think I've got a couple honorable mentions. I'm going to try and keep it like nice and concise for each one. Just kind of hit the high points. Um, yeah. My first honorable mention is actually, um, he is, he was on my top five list until we condensed this to top three for each of us, um, is Greg Pack who um, is the writer of the epic Planet Hulk and World War Hulk storylines for Marvel. Um, One of the reasons I like him is because he basically defined and set the course for the Hulk in uh, the 21st century. Um, And like basically everything since Planet Hulk has been just kind of trying to like figure out where Hulk is going since then. Cause the Hulk has been yeah, pulled yeah. in a lot of different directions since planet Hulk. Um, and I, I feel like that's because like Greg Peck set such a high standard with what a Hulk sh- story should look like. Um, so early on that, like everyone's just kind of been trying to figure out how do we follow that up? Um, yeah. He's also um, Greg Peck. I will say is really good at writing. Um, around characters motivations um i've noticed that uh greg peck's stories are all very like motivation based 
which that's how good characters are written is they're they're written to pursue their motivations because obviously that's what motivates them to move through the story but um i i've noticed this in his um very brief uh eternal warrior run for valiant comics where um through the two arcs that he wrote um in the first one uh the eternal warrior gilad is very motivated by he doesn't want to be stuck serving, uh, serving the earth forever. So he's going to like, try to kill the earth gods basically. Um, and then like the second arc, which flashes forward to the 41st century is like Gilad is very motivated by saving this like community of people that he's looking over and also trying to avoid letting people like develop technology again, because that's what destroyed the world in the first place. And like this, so like, if I remember nothing else about the way he wrote Gilad for those two arcs, I remember what motivated Gilad to act. Um, and now, the I will say the way that um, Pack wrote the Eternal Warrior series when he was writing on it was very uh, disconnected from the way everyone else was writing the Eternal Warrior in the rest of the Valiant universe. Um, in fact, it was almost it was it was contradictory because um, Pax Eternal Warrior is extremely pessimistic and um, looking to escape his servitude essentially um, to the Earth, uh, whereas literally every other writer working under Valiant uh, has been writing Gilad as um, questioning his role, but. Um, essentially maintaining it and um, being quite loyal to um, the earth itself as far as like serving as its protector. So uh, it's, it's, it, it is interesting like to see how like that contradiction came about. And um, so, yeah, I understand why his run only lasted eight issues. Cause it's like, Hey, uh, this isn't the character, <laughs> but at the yeah, same yeah. time, though, um, I feel like that's also probably the result of like they, like the people in charge, maybe didn't communicate who Gilad was supposed to be quite as well as they should have. Yeah, to Peck, and he was allowed to run a little too free with it. So, I, I feel like there were ways that could have been avoided. Yeah, um, but yeah, Greg Peck overall, like in terms of what he does well. Like, he does well with character motivation. Like, I have no questions as to why the Hulk is invading the Earth with an alien army in World War Hulk. Yeah. I know exactly why he's he's mad like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, yeah, like... Um, and then my other one, and I'm going to keep this short, is uh, Robert Kirkman, the writer of The Walking Dead and Invincible. Um, he's my honorable mention because he has written one of my all-time favorite comic book series which is Invincible um, which does a great job of taking the very well-worn paths of superhero comics and doing something different with them something interesting while still staying true to what a superhero comic is and I think that that's just very 
interesting and fun. It's definitely a coming of age story that takes place over the course of 140 issues. <laughs> um, but uh, it's, but yeah, it's, it's about seeing how um, this young teenage superhero uh, journeys into becoming a man and um, uh, how he adapts to and accepts the various responsibilities that come and go in his life. Cause throughout your entire life, no matter what age you are, everyone has some measure of responsibility to the position they hold. But as you move through life, obviously your responsibilities change and things that you were responsible for as a teenager might not be what you're responsible for as an adult, but now your you know responsibilities are different. Like we, I don't want to spoil too much about invincible, but like we, we get to see him journey from, uh, you know, bright eyed and, and, um, optimistic teenager to like uh, uh, protective and um, caring father like over the course of the series so it's it's a very interesting run and to see him transition through those phases of his life while still generally staying the same person because he does change yeah. as he becomes an adult everybody changes as they become an adult but at our core we're all always the same and I feel like that's that's very well communicated with Invincible that the main character changes um, in ways that make sense while staying the same in other ways that also make sense. I don't know. It's difficult to explain, uh, but the way that Kirkman writes characters and how they change over time um, is uh, very interesting to read. Um, and I will say though, um, and I think I brought this up before one of the shortcomings of Invincible is the fact that you can tell that Kirkman would introduce concepts that he either instantly got bored with or couldn't find time to properly incorporate into the series before the next big story thing happened. So he would introduce a lot of concepts that got abandoned right away. Um, and he would also introduce concepts that would just kind of stay in the background for a long time until eventually being just done away with. So that that is one of the shortcomings of Invincible, and, and I will say that's that's like the but that's like the only disappointment of the series. Everything else about it is fantastic. Yeah. So, um, yeah, if you read nothing else Robert Kirkman has ever written, read Invincible. But that's it for me for honorable mentions. So our number one, me and Brandon had. I just hang on my tongue doesn't want to cooperate so me and Brandon Brandon me Brandon. and Brandon um, actually have the same number one when we when we um, mailed each other our handwritten lists for review I, um, I carry your pigeon yeah I sent mine by crow because um, I'm well, edgy my carrier pigeon beat the crap out of your crow yeah well my crow... they ran into each other mid-flight and he was like hey what's up bro and he dunked his head in a toilet yeah well my crow flipped a butterfly knife around and stabbed your pigeon in the kidney my pigeon was like what are you some sort of riddler loser with your butterfly knife and then dunked his head in a toilet again 
And then and then and then my crow is like, nah, uh, I am. Um, I bring people back from the dead so that they can seek vengeance for the murder of their loved one. And they stabbed him in the in the other kidney with the, with the butterfly knife. And then as my pigeon started dying, he said, "Shut up, nerd." <laughs> and then fell into Tio's yard, <laughs> where I got Tio the got the letter. Right. Yeah. So anyway, we have the same number one. It is Jeff Lemire. Jeff John. <laughs> other Jeff. Other Jeff. Oh yeah, yeah. One that starts with a J. Yes. Um. Yeah. So uh, we both picked a Canadian as our uh, number one guy. Yeah. The same Canadian, actually. Um. Because <laughs> Jeff Lemire is a Canadian comic book writer um so we're i i feel like it's gonna be hard to just nail down one thing jeff lemire has written that we like um that that's what i'll say is is jeff lemire i do have like one thing specifically that i like him the most for but the reason i have jeff lemire as my number one is out of all the writers he is the most consistent yes Um, basically nearly all his books are good if not like great or amazing yeah the only and i haven't read this one yet but i will say the only book that i've heard people like say is futures in are what are you talking about futures in no um the only book is uh, that i would say i've heard people say is subpar is plutona yeah i i've actually read plutona it's like it's not bad It it ends a little like it feels like it could have went a couple more issues, but it's not bad. Cause I remember okay. whenever I picked it up in uh issue by issue, like people were not really dogging on it, but they were like, eh, this isn't that great. I was like, compared to other comics, it's good for okay. Jeff Lemire. It's like, man, but compared to other comics, it's a good comic. All right. Then I will, I will definitely pick that one up in the near future. Then, Cause I've been kind of hesitating with that one. Cause um, yeah, don't, don't let it be your number, like your next Jeff Lemire pickup. If you're like yeah. trying to prioritize, but it's definitely yeah. one to check out. Okay. Yeah. Because um, I'm going to say, I, I trust your opinion more than the opinions of strangers on the internet. So, so yeah, with, with, with that, it, with that in mind, Plutona is definitely like kind of back on the list. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just um, ends a little too short. Yeah, okay. But yeah, like um Jeff Lemire, whether it's a creator-owned property that he's writing or if he's writing for one of um the bigger like superhero publishers, no matter what he's writing, um it has that like consistent Jeff Lemire quality to it and he excels very much in um like Brandon was saying earlier when talking about Scott Snyder, um, he excels very much in the family unit based like storytelling. Um, yeah, yeah. Not a, not always like your standard nuclear family, but um, occasionally that like an Animal Man. It's very much like the nuclear family, like you know, wife and two kids um, sort of situation. Uh, but then you have like something like Black Hammer, which is published by Dark Horse where it's like a found family, a group of people who uh, yeah. are just kind of stuck together and have to make the best of it. Yeah. 
or in um in descender um a which um is actually the book i have sitting next to me to use as my big reference for him uh, but like in descender where it's a family that's been pulled apart and is trying to come back together yeah 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 that, i think descender of all the books i do like all the books i've read by jeff lemire <clears throat> most of the ones i've read are his indie stuff i have read some of his uh marvel or dc stuff like i read the first volume of uh uh moon knight um i gotta I can't read think that what else i I've, it's I've pretty good moon knight. clay clay has read jeff lemire's moon knight and i haven't read it yet <laughs> yeah it, it's pretty good i i do like i've only read the first volume but it's pretty yeah. good and then like eventually i'm going to pick up his his hawkeye run because it picks up right after matt fractions and matt fractions is great and Jeff Lemire is a, I forgot a great he, writer. I forgot that he was put on Hawkeye because he also wrote Green Arrow for a little while too. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but, uh, and he wrote Animal Man, which is fantastic um, for uh, for the new Fifty Two. That is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and um, yeah, for me, one one of my favorites that he does, as far as. Um, uh, company owned like a corporate superhero sort of thing um is uh bloodshot because um, yeah. he starts writing bloodshot because he co-wrote a an event miniseries for valiant called the valiant with um fred van lent who uh wrote the first armor the first archer and armstrong series for valiant after the relaunch um and uh I feel like Jeff Lemire co-wrote that alongside him specifically to get Bloodshot right, because after The Valiant concluded, a new Bloodshot series called Bloodshot Reborn started, and Jeff Lemire wrote Bloodshot for like two or three years after that, Um, and kind of got the opportunity to uh, sort of like define Bloodshot and make him all his own for that time. And over time, it turned into you know, your usual Jeff Lemire family story. So it, it, um, like that's definitely, that's definitely his comfort zone in terms of writing is writing about family. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like Part, you can particularly see it as, as it pertains to fatherhood. Yeah. Yeah. You see it across a ton of his books. Um, like even going into the ones that aren't like, like you had mentioned black hammer. Um, there's a ton of different elements of, of family within that. Um, it's it's uh, like you said, it's it's this family that they have to basically be together. But it's also the this father figure with um, Abe. I forgot his name. I haven't read Black Hammer in a long time. Yeah, like, like I, I the, feel like. Uh, hang on, it's I got it on my shelf. I'll pull it down and look at it. Let's see here. Um, but it's basically the the old white guy with the with the, the daughter yeah with the with the daughter who is like this like elderly lady at this point but she's in like a nine-year-old's body yeah um, but uh because because she's uh, each each of the characters are like similar it, it's kind of like watchmen how it's based off of characters basically how like yeah. uh it's um, it's based on tropes. 
Yeah, yeah. Like the daughter is pretty much like the trope of Shazam, but she's not yeah. able to change back into her superhero form and she's stuck in this kid form and it does not well, age. Actually, um one thing that I found interesting about it is the fact that um she's kind of like a reverse Shazam because when she got her powers, she basically just Oh that's she was right. she was yeah. a kid and then yeah, she transformed right. yeah. into just a superhero version of her kid self. But then that's as right. she got older, anytime she'd turn into her superhero form, she would revert back to being a child. And yeah, then she'd right. have yeah. to turn back into adult when she was done. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, and then like, and uh, then and then yeah, in in the story, she's trapped in her child body without any of her powers, as far as I can tell. Or do they all yeah. have their powers still? Um, in this world, yeah, they do. Okay, okay. In the, the world that they're in. That's right, because um, the Martian guy still shapeshifts. Yeah, he still shapeshifts. Um, Captain or Colonel Weird, he's still like is going still through <laughs> he's still going through dimensions and all I, this I was, stuff. I was gonna say he's still in the process of experiencing the whole of existence simultaneously. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, like when you're um, reading it before they get to like the the backstory issue, because they have a backstory issue for like each yeah. character. Before you get to his, like you think he's just this weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> but uh but oh boy. Because the entire yeah. um the entire first arc of the series because that's that's the only one that i actually have on my shelf um but the entire first arc of black hammer is dedicated to um telling the origin stories of each of the main characters like one issue at a time um so like i i wasn't i wasn't able to find the abe guy's name in a timely fashion so i just put the book back no it's fine but uh so i I don't remember his superhero name it was it was something old guy yeah, old guy who is the only one that truly likes being here. Yes, because it's just a normal life, and he was it's like a the normal Captain life. America equivalent yeah, yeah. In, the, in the group. It's a normal life, and plus, like he kind of likes the diner lady. Yeah. Whereas, like someone like the quotation's daughter, of course, she's not going to like it because she's this elderly lady who's trapped in a little girl's body. Yeah. Um, and uh, the Martian is so-so about it because the Martian, it's basically Martian Manhunter. Yeah. Um, he's gay and like... Yeah, and he's like falling in love with the priest, right? Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. And then uh, I forgot <laughs> I forgot if the, uh, if the witch likes it or not. She seems like she could take it or leave it. Like she doesn't seem yeah, to care yeah, yeah. that much as far yeah. as I could tell. Yeah. Um she's one of my favorites in the whole group. I like her. Oh yeah, yeah. I um, what I like and, about her is how like she is she is basically the the tells of the crypt or or not tells of the crypt but how you had those horror comics back in the day. She yeah. is basically like that narrator. Yeah, she, she's 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 like the um horror anthology narrator sort of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. character. Yeah, it's interesting all the different types of comic book tropes that were used for this because it's it doesn't just use superheroes, which I think is interesting. Even though it's um, operating under the conceit that it's a superhero world, um, it doesn't just use like superheroes. Like like you said, it's it's that like horror anthology narrator sort of um, or host or whatever you want to call them sort yeah. of character. And it's also... you know, she's a witch, so she totally qualifies as a superhero. 
yeah it also has great like sci-fi elements especially when you get yes. into like uh colonel weird and stuff and has great superhero moments and stuff as well as like you're just like uh deep down character studies kind of and um, and one yeah. thing that i love about the robot character oh um, yeah walkie talkie yeah yeah uh, yeah i think it's talkie walkie one thing i love about talkie walkie is is it she does she identify as like a female robot i think so okay yeah so one of the um things that i love about her is i looked at her and not only did i not like even mentally assign her a gender to start with until um like they started addressing her as such but um like because she doesn't she she has a humanoid form but doesn't resemble a human um so one thing that i love about her is the fact that she doesn't act like a robot she she acts like a person yeah 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 she she has a human personality and i was expecting this you know this cold robotic like oh your pancakes are done abe sort of personality but she's like she she's Based on what I've seen of her, um, and it's been a while since I've read the book, so I could be misremembering, but it looked like she was almost assigned like the mom role of the group. Yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah. Um, because she's she seems to be the one who does like the cooking, the cleaning, which I I know it's like you know, she's a robot, so that's it's, that's a bit of a trope where it's like a robot servant, but it's like she seems like she's doing it because she wants to, and that's just the role she has. Yeah, um, yeah. But uh, yeah, like she, she kind of seems like she is assigned sort of the mom role in the group. So um, it's, but yeah, it's a very interesting dynamic in Black Hammer. For anyone who hasn't read Black Hammer, I highly recommend it. Yeah, and I'll, I'll go mm-hmm. ahead and yeah, definitely recommend it. And I'll also say like, if you want, because I, I haven't even dived this deep into it. I've only read the first 13 issues, which is basically like the first story of Black Hammer. Um, yeah you've you've read further ahead than i have because i think i've only read like the first six or seven issues because i've I've read whatever makes up the first trade yeah yeah but if you want to like dive into a new superhero universe this is the one because i think this might be one of uh jeff lemire's like most profitable things because there's so many spinoffs of black hammer yeah Um, and it's yeah it's a very well realized world yeah yeah like there's there's a ton of different like spin-off books that are in the black hammer universe it's crazy yeah as 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 far as like dark horses publishing catalog goes i feel like black hammer is kind of being built up as the next hellboy oh yeah yeah it does seem like that because because for the longest time the only like universe that dark horse has had um under their banner is hellboy Um, that's kind of been their big their big thing for a long time so but like now that black hammer has come along and been growing over the past few years it's like it kind of feels like it's it's ready to be like the next like big thing for them oh yeah yeah and that's Um, that's just one thing with jeff lemire there's also if you want like more uh concise type stuff he's written a ton of indie type books that deal with family and different stuff like that as well as like his roots i haven't read essex county but it does look really good um i still have to read i I still have to read gideon falls 
I've read the first volume of Gideon Falls. It's really good. What I'm going to do is much like a sender, I'm going to wait till it's done and then buy it all at once and binge read it for like a week. Ah, I see. A sender. Isn't a sender still on hiatus? Uh, I don't know. I think they're on like volume three or four by now. Are they? Oh, dang. Then I got to, I got to track that down then if that's the case, because I've got the first two volumes on my shelf. Um, We'll we'll get into Descender Ascender in a bit, but let's keep talking about what yeah, you yeah, brought yeah. up because that's the main thing. But um, yeah. but yeah, I, I've I've read uh, what's it called? Oh, the Underwater Welder. That's one of his like big, uh, critically acclaimed books. It's really I good. Read that. Yeah, um, one another thing that Jeff Lemire does really well is the pulp sci-fi um, sort of story because Black Hammer definitely delves into that like weird pulpy um like sci-fi aspect of really old yeah. superhero yeah stuff yeah. um like i i would say it's very like it, it looks very golden age in aesthetic but it's still like up like updated and modernized enough that like you can tell that it, it's not a golden age thing um, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's almost like a like a grimier ver- like looking at Black Hammer at least it looks like a grimier, muddier version of the Golden Age. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that definitely seems what seems like. But yeah, and, and underwater welder strikes me as something that would be similar to that. Like as as far as like that pulpy sci-fi um, sort of look and as and general yeah. feel. Yeah, and and yeah, underwater welder is like really good in terms of like his family stuff um it's one of his like most notable family type books because it mostly focuses on this guy um and his relationship with his dad it does have a a, uh i think i've mentioned this before if not on this podcast something else it feels like a twilight zone episode or a twilight zone movie um because I, I can't remember it's been so long since i've read it but he's a the main character is like an offshore welder and as he's going down yeah. to weld something um he gets sent into a other an alternate dimension or something like that i can't remember exactly where it basically mimics his reality but there's like slight changes with it um but the book does like an amazing job uh showing this relationship between this guy and his father um as he was growing up as well as this guy and like his thoughts on becoming a father because his wife is pregnant um with their unborn child and it 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 really dives deep into like those thoughts of like am i ready for this like i i don't know like those fears of of becoming a father kind of um but coming into terms with it um Mm. But yeah, that, that's just like one of them. Um, there's, oh my gosh, I'm going through the list. There's just so many. Yeah. As, as far as like classics, I still have to read Sweet Tooth. Yeah, Sweet Tooth and uh, Essex County are the two that I still need to read that are like the big classics by him. Yeah, there's a long list of Jeff Lemire comics that I still need to read, but I need to finish the ones that I've started from him too. I got to... I got to get through his bloodshot run and I got to um, apparently catch up on Ascender. And also yeah. I got to collect the rest of his uh, old man Logan stuff that he wrote because um, I've got like uh, two volumes of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
which uh and anyone who if if there's anyone listening to this um who wants to like try following Jeff Lemire as a writer um that there are like there is one artist in particular that I've noticed he collaborates with frequently and that's um Andrea Sorrentino yeah um yeah. who I think is an Italian artist I believe so that uh, sounds Italian but yeah and and the way that that he illustrates is very um like visually distinct like you are never going to mistake a sorrentino page for someone else's work yeah because like the the three that are coming to mind it's old man logan uh his book uh joker killer smile and then um Hmm. who's the other one there's another i can't think of right now oh gideon falls duh Mm. Yeah. yeah the the three the three i think of as far as those two collaborating is old man logan gideon falls and green arrow yeah yeah they're they're a great a great couple jeff Lemire yes and, yes they uh, are a like a fantastic creative duo and they, yeah. you can tell that there's like a lot of um understanding between the two of them in terms of like what needs to be accomplished for each story because it's it always comes out looking and feeling fantastic. Yeah. Here's what I'll say about like Jeff Lemire in terms of like him as a writer and him as an artist, when it comes to his more personal, um, I'll say indie type stories. What I mean by that is like the more personal stories that feel like not autobiographical, but it's definitely taking pages of his life or of his feelings at the time, um, such as like underwater welder and, and uh different things like that his artwork like because he's an artist does great to like kind of complement that whereas when he goes into like the the bigger scope of comics in terms of like if he's working for marvel or dc or he's doing like a kind of big indie title um working with uh uh sorrentino is like perfect yeah yeah like um because Lemire's art is very like uncanny and sort of creepy to look at, which um, I believe is intentional. Oh um, yeah, yeah. Uh, he has he like illustrated any horror? Because he would be a fantastic uh, horror artist. He really would. I'm sure he probably has, but hasn't been like a, like a big book. The closest thing I can think of, which I don't think he really went into true quotations horror elements is he wrote a book called the nobody which is basically his take on the invisible man Um, i haven't read that yet because um it's very hard to find the trade and it's expensive (laughs) it's out of print and hard to find oh yeah okay but um but yeah his his art is very like uncanny to look at um like yeah like anyone listening to this, just Google um, like Jeff Lemire's sweet tooth art and, and just the main character of that is, is kind of creepy to look at, but, yeah. Um, but yeah. And then, and then you look at something he's written, you know, for one of, you know, one of the big two or, or even just for image or Valiant. It's like, obviously his, his art style doesn't quite gel with those sorts of the sorts of stories that those publishers are known for right right. Um, like with 
like with Valley, like if he, if he had illustrated Bloodshot, that would be a very different be, looking Bloodshot story. Very weird. Yeah, yeah. I very weird. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I just remembered a book of his that is really good, but it's not on the list whenever you look up Jeff Lemire books. Um, I guess technically because he was the artist for it, but I'll briefly mention the book's called 80 After Death. It was a book by Scott Snyder and Jeff Lemire. Um, okay, I think I've heard of that. It's it's really good. It was like a three book type thing. It was like oversized issues, and the covers and the backs felt weird slash cool because it's cover textures I'd never felt before. Um, but anyway, it's it's really good. It's essentially the premise is like, what if like death was cured, um, not entirely by like man cured it. It just happened to. I won't go into a whole spiel about it, but basically you can no longer die. Um, and it, it taught, it's basically about this, this world in sense of this happening. Um, it's very, very interesting. Um, it's got some great, again, great family moments and stuff with it. Um, there's a lot of flashbacks with the character because one thing about this is like, um, as life goes on, like, you don't keep the same job your whole life because you could be alive hundreds, if not thousands of years, uh, every cycle. And I think a cycle is like 80 years or so. Um, you can decide if you want to like completely change your life or whatever. And it also seems like every cycle you kind of forget a lot of your memories from your previous quotations life. Um, huh. But this one guy that we're following, he writes down, he keeps a journal of like all of the stuff that he's lived. Um, and so he's able to remember memories and stuff like that from his childhood before death was cured. Um, but it's so weird because, yes, Scott Snyder wrote it. And I did mention Scott Snyder's good at family stuff. It feels like Jeff Lemire he is the artist so there is that collaboration between the writer and the artist but it does feel like jeff lemire had to at least like be consultation in the story making because it very much feels like a jeff lemire story like yes he's doing the art and it's beautiful watercolors and all that yeah. but like the story feels like a jeff lemire story um hmm. That's one I wanted to mention. Yeah, the, there there was probably at least some uh, collaboration um, between them. Like Le Lemire might have like had a couple of suggestions here and there, and like oh, you know yeah. made notes and things like that. Yeah, for sure. Because um, cause if if your artist is also like a well known writer, I can't imagine that they you know wouldn't leave leave notes for you <laughs> yeah yeah oh, thanks. um but yeah but speaking of beautiful watercolors yes um let's talk about the big one uh which is descender yes um because i think descender is my favorite jeff lemire comic same oh uh, yeah for sure it, it is um, a fantastic sci-fi space epic. Um, yeah, it's about... an amazing, an amazing space opera. Like I tell anyone, yeah. like you like Star Wars, you're going to like Descender. And it's 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 incredible to me 
how Lemire was able to create such a well-realized and detailed um, sci-fi space opera world while telling such a small story. Because it has big moments and there's like a big climax to it, but the story itself is so personal and small. It's just about like a few groups of characters none of whom have like the big picture of the galaxy in mind. All of them are in this for like a personal reason. It just yeah, so yeah. happens that big picture things are happening around. Yeah. Them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and happening to them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, so yeah. They get incorporated into big picture things, whether they like it or not. Yeah. And, and absolutely none of them want anything to do with the big picture stuff because they're all concerned with their own priorities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You've got a, you know, you've got fantastic, um, well-realized characters like Tim Twenty One, whose only yeah. goal is to find his quote-unquote brother. Um, yeah. You've got Driller, whose motivations are unknown for most of the series. And to anyone out there who wants to read this, I do not want to spoil, um, like Driller's character arc because yeah, I think yeah. Driller might be my favorite character. Um, yeah. Yeah, like but, uh, all of the characters are like great, or or they're at least like fleshed out really well. Yeah, they are. Um, like even Andy, when Andy was reintroduced as like an adult, um, and uh, like usually, I whenever you know you introduce a character who was like, oh, he was this cheerful young kid when he was when he was younger, but now he's like this this angsty brooding young adult person. I usually don't like that trope very much. Cause like a uh, great this again, yeah, but like yeah. it really works for Andy because he's not really like super broody or angsty. He's just like, it's, it's just kind of the realistic result of like the life he's lived. And now he's yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I really like his relationship to Effie in particular. Um, and the way that all plays out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like, like, um, and then I cannot remember the blue chick's name. Uh, starts with the N, I think. Or no, no, starts with a T. T. Oh, uh, hang on, it's she appears like almost right away in the book, I think. So she should be easy to find. Um, just a second, let me flip through the pages. I'm flipping through pages. Uh, Tullus. Uh, Is it Tullus? Tullus. Tullus. Yes, I. Yes. No, 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 Captain. Captain Telsa. Telsa. That's Telsa, what it is. That's it. It's right here. I just found it. Captain Telsa. And then he and, and um the doctor, Jin Kwan. Yeah, yeah. Um, Dr. Kwan is he's also an interesting character. He's one of those characters where you read the whole book and you're like he's he's a very like unlikable character, which is intentional. Yeah, yeah. Um but that's a part of what makes him interesting because because Quan is the guy who like throughout the story he's he's credited as the guy who like I think basically made robots well um, he he I'm not sure if he made all robots but he made like the super intelligent ones he made like the yeah. Tim lines like the Tim 21 yeah. Tim 22 yeah like Which the, even the uh, has the Sorry, robots that with i forgot exactly the difference with the tim ones like they're 
because there are robots that can have like complex thought, but like I forgot the difference with the Tim ones. Um, how well, how they are I, more human is what I mean. I was gonna say I think the difference between like um, the like more complicated artificial intelligent artificially intelligent ones and the Tim robots is um, the Tims seem to generally be sentient. They have a like. I don't know, that, that seems to be the distinction to me. But then again, as I'm reading it, it's like Driller has enough of a personality and personal motivations that you could say he's sentient too. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's why I said it, I, I wasn't sure about like uh, like the sentience because there's a ton of different robots that are uh, that show that. Yeah, because for for listeners, um, there's a character in this series called driller who's he's like an excavation robot he's a big tanky robot with a giant drill on one of his arms um and he's made for like you know digging and excavation and um he had like a more complicated name before but the guy who uh like his boss basically was like that's too complicated you're just we're gonna call you driller um (laughs) so uh yeah and like it's it is it is a little t- like this one in particular is a little difficult for me to talk talk about because I I really want to avoid spoiling Descender for yeah, yeah. like any there, character moments or big revelations. Yeah, there's there's big character moments. There's big like at the end, yeah, like revelations like you say. So it's hard to like not hit on any of those. Um, yeah, but it's it's um, it's so good. This isn't a spoiler, but like. One thing we mentioned is is the the character moments. That's the shining thing in the story. But there's also like epic moments. Like this isn't a spoiler because this is like the first three or four pages of the book, and it kind of sets up yeah. the story of the book. Is this is ten years in the past? Um, basically, uh, everyone's living their day to day life. It's like intergalactic life where like uh, different species or different yeah species of humanoid type people are living on the same planets and stuff like that and then out of nowhere this gigantic robot appears like in space and and the the artwork because it's watercolored it's beautiful but the artwork on that specific page is just so beautiful and amazing of of this giant robot that is like over this world and, uh, and yeah, the way the way that the scale is communicated yes. is fantastic. Like it's this incomprehensibly massive machine, yeah. lar- larger than a planet. Yeah, and and basically large enough to, from what I could see, like large enough that the planet basically is barely the width of this thing's like shoulder span. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And help me remember it's been a while since I've read Descender. Doesn't that robot like wipe out most of the life on that planet or it wipes out like millions of people. I can't remember. Exactly. Yeah. Um, there, I think there are several robots all throughout the galaxy and each of them claim millions of lives from each That's of right. the major yeah. worlds. And when that happens, that kind of sets your precedent for the story. Cause then it flashes 10 years later um, in society. Now, 10 years later, a lot of society doesn't like robots because of that incident. Um, oh, I wonder why. Oh, I wonder why that is. Oh. But uh, <laughs> but before that, I mean, you had a bunch of like servant robots and stuff like that. Um, 
but like once that incident happened like there is a huge prejudice against those servant robots and different robots throughout the galaxy where a lot of robots are like outlawed from different places or or like wanted basically yeah and Um, and hunting down and scrapping robots has become like an entire profession yeah yeah, like exactly. b- bounty hunters go out to look for machines to destroy. Yeah. Um, so it's yeah, it's it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting world that has been established just within the first few pages. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, and and it's interesting. Like it it establishes like this hard science fiction world. And I don't want to spoil too much about plot elements, but um, I will say. It, there is a sequel series currently running called Ascender that takes a turn into fantasy, yeah, yeah, um, and starts exploring magic, which, um, which was, I thought was an interesting turn. Yeah, which it was built upon in some of the issues of um, Descender, with like yeah, a late, couple late, of the characters. They were off doing their own thing. That's a big thing about yeah. the series is like as it goes on separation happens and you check in on what's going on with different characters and stuff yeah the 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 story starts about being a robot who's modeled to look like a little boy named tim 21 and at the beginning tim 21 is our main character he's like our our perspective character but as more characters get introduced and they all start splitting off and going in different ways it becomes the story of all of these people throughout the galaxy um each pursuing their own personal goals yeah. Um, and like the really the only connecting factor between all of them is that they all know Tim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Tim is like the linchpin of the series and the plot that is to come. Um, and that, and that's like, and I feel like it's so he maintains that like central position, uh, and, uh as like main character through the series simply by virtue of the fact that all the other main characters have at least met him at some point yeah yeah um and and um like huge chunks of like the main plot do revolve around him yeah um even even though um i will say towards the middle part of the series he has very little to do um and uh it it feels like a lot of the stuff involving tim is just kind of uh lemire killing time until it's ready for tim to do something important again right in the middle yeah uh, but other than that, other than that, it is a uh, like it is a fantastic series. Well, if you're going um, with like the the middle of it, a lot of the middle was just kind of uh, showing us some backstory on characters yeah. that that we saw in the past, but now we're seeing what they're up to now and and their backstory now in the future. That's true. There is like a six uh, issue stretch, which I've noticed now after thinking about Black Hammer, this is something that Lemire likes to do quite a bit with his writing is um, there is like a six issue stretch where each issue is the backstory of one of the main characters. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Basically as a flashback. Yeah. Um, And there is one issue that I remember reading in like a couple of minutes because there was no dialogue in it. The bandit Um, one. The dog. um, The robot dog. Oh no! Or, or I, don't, I don't remember. I don't remember one being specifically about Bandit. Um, I think there was. I, was there? I think okay, so. Yeah. I I remember one that just kept um, flipping through uh, each of the main characters as they were um, like, just sort of doing something that 
that did technically progress the plot, but um, didn't require like any speaking. Like yeah, um, yeah. I think, I think again, I don't want to spoil too much, but like that bit where Tim Twenty One is playing, you know, cat and mouse with another robot, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. trying to escape his life. And I think that was one of the segments that was touched on there. And like um, Andy and Effie uh, spending a night together for the first time since yeah. they met back up. Um, like there's just like, and it, it like trades between all those different stories without any of them like having any dialogue. Like there's some action beats, there are some drama beats, but nobody speaks through the whole issue. Yeah. Um, and it's beautiful to look at too because of Dustin Nguyen's um, uh, artwork, which was done on a canvas. Yeah. Uh, which is crazy to me. Let's, oh, yeah. If you look really closely, you can see that it's, you know, these are scans of um, canvas artwork. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah it's watercolors on canvas, uh, which I think is really, really cool. Yeah. It, it's some of the some of the most beautiful comic art I've ever seen. Um, yeah. In, in it's, terms it's, of, one of, it's one of the best looking comics I've ever read. Yeah. Like one, it's already a good story, but if you're just going off of like art, like I would pick up the book, even if the story was meh, like, like the art is like so good. It's just so beautiful to look at. Yes. The, the best, the best thing about Descender, I would say, one of the things that makes it such a fantastic series about both Descender and Ascender, um, is the fact that the the writing and the art each are just one half of the whole, which is how all of the best comic books should be. Like yes. you can yeah. you can tell that with Descender, neither half is carrying the other. They both elevate each other. Yeah. Um it's not mediocre writing being carried by um, gorgeous artwork and it's not meh artwork being carried by a fantastic story. It's yeah. a fantastic story complemented perfectly by gorgeous art. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I think that's why Descender is our favorite Jeff Lemire series because yeah, um, is because not just is the is the writing good, but Dustin Nguyen's art is just spot on and perfect. Oh yeah, yeah. Because I remember whenever I hopped on the series, I I didn't start at issue one. I started because um, I remember picking up the first trade volume at the local library. And I read it. I was like, this is awesome. And then I like looked and saw that it was still ongoing. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to my local comic shop and buy all of the issues, even the ones that were in the first trade. I'm going to buy all the issues up to where it is. And it was on like issue 16 or something by that point. And I just like carried on with it up until uh, it was like issue 30 or something was the last issue of the series. Yeah, I I, I remember back when I was um, still able to get like a couple of trades like every week. Yeah. Um, and I, I got like the first volume of Descender, um, from like books a million or something just on a whim. Cause I was like, this looks interesting. It's a space thing about robots. And I'm trying, like, I was still in the process of trying to branch out from reading nothing but superhero comics. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's mostly what I was reading. So Descender is one of the first non-superhero comics that like, I really gave a real shot to. And I'm so glad that I did. And that I, I honestly, Descender is one of my first ones. 
yeah, like you mentioning that makes me kind of realize that Jeff Lemire is kind of the reason I got into indie comics. Um, Because a lot of my first indie comics that I read were like his indie stuff. Like Descender was one Mm -hmm. of the first big ones. Underwater Welder was one of the first big ones. Um, A lot of them, yeah, like I think he's... Yeah, you if, know, if now that I'm thinking 100%. about it, I think Descender, I think Descender was one of my first like indie comics that I started reading. Yeah, if it wasn't like my hundred percent like gateway into it, it was like the majority of the reason I got into liking indie comics was because of him and the work that he did. Yeah. Huh. So yeah. I guess that's why Jeff Lemire is our favorite modern comic book writer. Yeah. <laughs> he was sort of a gateway for both of us to like branch out from the big two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and start experiencing um, some more interesting and personal comic book stories. Yeah. But yeah. Alrighty. So just for the listeners to hear it, um we are not doing recommendations this week because uh we just did a whole episode of them so it's just plugs for this week so so brandon if you don't give me plugs right now i will pick you up by your ankles and swing you around so fast you'll throw up What if that's the only thing that keeps me from throwing up? What if stability of me being right here is what causes me to throw up? But you doing that counteracts that, and it's the only time I can't throw up. So thank you. Like some kind of reverse nausea? Yes. (laughs) Oh, God, it's too late already. Okay. I'm going to rush through my plugs real quick just for the teeniest, tiniest recommendation. I'm sorry. Uh, okay. Plugs. Uh, Don't rush Comics, too fast, Facebook, this is important. Uh, sure, whatever. <laughs> Plug <laughs> Disney Comics, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, check out The Gallows Man. Kickstarter starts May 4th. Um, go to the links in the bios and you can go from there. Sure. All right. Uh, <laughs> one quick recommendation. I mentioned the Adventures of Superman comic please pick up that comic. It's such a good series because I remembered one issue because I remember back when I was a substitute, I substitute for a middle school and high school library for a a couple of weeks as the librarian was out. It was the easiest sub job I ever had because no child goes to the library unless they are made to. Um, so <laughs> I was just in there getting to read some of the graphic novels they had and I read a ton of Adventures of Superman. And one of the issues in it is really good, not just the Max Landis one. Issue 11, um, it's written by Jim Kruger. It, I forgot what it's called, but issue 11 is basically this Green Lantern who uh, was the Green Lantern over the sector of Krypton when it blew up. And when it blew up, he felt like a failure. And so this Green Lantern wants to die. Like he doesn't want to exist anymore. And every time he tries to end it, the Green Lantern won't let him. Like, the, the power ring won't let him. Like, it, it's trying to keep him alive. Yeah. So he's not able to do it. So he searches to find Superman and tries to antagonize Superman, hoping that Superman will end him. Um, and it's a very interesting little 
short little story, but so interesting. I never thought of that idea for a Green Lantern or that concept, but it's really interesting. So yeah, Adventures of Superman and issues 11 and 14, definitely check out. I think I've actually heard of that story. I've probably mentioned it before on the podcast just because it stuck out with with me so much. And plus, I've met Jim Kruger before and had like a over 10 minute conversation with him about comics. It was like wow. really awesome. So he's I your really best friend? Oh, yeah, yeah. We like hang out all the time. You have dinner and on like, weekends. And... We have dinner on the weekends and he like he goes because he's worked with Alex Ross a lot before and yeah. he goes to Alex Ross and he's like, hey. This Brandon guy, he's like the coolest guy ever, Alex. Like, he's cooler than you. <laughs> and he buys you jewelry? Yeah, he buys me jewelry. And and sundresses and takes you out for yeah. picnics. Yeah. He promises nice. that someday you'll run away together. Yeah. Raise a family. I can't wait for that day. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, <clears throat> my plug for the week um, is... You're listening to it, Storybrand Comics. Congratulations, you found us. Good job. Um, thank you very much for listening. This is just a little hobby podcast that we do. Uh, we're finally learning how to like tighten up the pace <laughs> within yes. these past couple of weeks. Um, so hopefully we can keep that going. Um, we'll see how that goes once we actually start trying to get into like coming up with our own weird fan fiction ideas again. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, right. Um, so, yeah, but uh, if if you enjoyed listening to this, um, we do this every Friday. So just whichever podcast app you're listening to us through, um, just keep coming back and doing it again. Um, I can't remember which ones we're all on, and I, I can't be bothered to find out right now. So just... Just remember which one you heard us on, and and and, and keep the train rolling, um, yeah. <laughs> if if you're interested. If not, then you know. Thanks for listening this far, anyway. Um, yeah, if you listen this far, you kind of had to like it somewhat. I mean, at least a little bit. You had to like it a yeah. little bit. By like the fifteen or twenty minute mark, if you didn't like it, you think you'd click off or something. Yeah. Yeah, you can't say you don't like us a little bit, pokes your belly, tries to make you giggle. (laughs) So, um, anyway. Kills Doughboy out there. (laughs) So, that's That's not an insult to you, listener. That's just showing that you are a nice and sweet Doughboy. Doughboy. (laughs) But thank you for listening. Um... And yeah, uh, we're so we do this every Friday. So we're going to try to be back next week. Um, oh, oh, oh! By the way, Brandon forgot to mention earlier yeah. um, today's episode. Happy anniversary! Oh yeah, this is coming out like on the like to the day, the same day that uh, our first episode came out. Yeah, that what, almost four hour long mess. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> where where I like was still trying to get comfortable with like talking on a mic. Yeah, we've I feel like we've definitely found a rhythm. Um, yeah, 
And I feel like I've gotten to know you better over this past year. Because oh, um, yeah. you and I obviously knew each other before we started doing this. And we mostly just knew each other as the other comic book guy in the D&D group, I feel. Yeah. Because yeah. um, that's mostly what we had conversations about. And we had hung yeah. out a couple times before, like um, outside of Dungeons and Dragons, uh, before starting this podcast. But I feel like through this podcast, we've really gotten to know each other a lot better. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, yeah. So that's fun. It's a good way to connect to people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so happy anniversary. Um, one year. 100 years. I don't have any of those little blow things. What? What? I don't have any of those little, like, blow celebration things. I'm just going to go. That's Oh, an air horn? Yeah, well, not really an air horn. It's like one of those like birthday party things. Oh, okay. And blow. <laughs> Rick and Morty, 100years.com. www.rickandmorty, 100 years. Yeah. Anyway, anyway. Have you, have you, have you seen Rick and Morty? Um, I've seen Pickle Rick. Ugh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like... That that I've is seen... that is the worst episode of Rick and Morty, if only for what it did to society afterwards. No, I I haven't even like watched the episode. I know only of Rick and Morty based on like the memes and okay. stuff. That's literally it. The first two seasons are really good. Season three is kind of rough. Season four kind of gets its groove back, and we'll see how season five goes. I got you. that's 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 my assessment of Rick and Morty. Um, so I do sort of recommend it, but only like if you watch the first episode and decide it's not for you, I do not blame you. I did, I, I didn't mention it. I did watch the first episode, it wasn't bad, it was just like I don't know. At, at the time, it was so it was one of those things where it was just such a hype show because it was, yeah. it was the pickle Rick era. Oh, yeah. Ugh. Because it was, it kind of tainted it a little bit, I guess. Yeah. All right. Um, So that's Storebrand Comics for the week. Keep coming back every week to check us out and check out Dismay Comics on um, Facebook and Instagram. And uh, so, yeah. Check out Adventures of Superman. What's that? I said, check out Adventures of Superman. Yeah. Um, So I have been Tio. And I've been Brandon. And now we're not. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. So I will say, between last week and this week, I feel like we are getting better at, like, tightening up our uh, recording time. Yeah, yeah. This is This is going at a nice, brisk pace. So, um, anyway, <clears throat> sponsored by Brisk. What's that? I said this episode sponsored by Brisk. <laughs> Look, I don't even drink tea. Yeah, that's all right. I don't. I don't I, like. I don't, I don't drink like flavored tea when you add like lemon or whatever the crap to it. Like, I'll, I'll drink sweet tea here and there. Uh, so, um, last night, or I guess this morning, technically, because that's when I watched it.
before I went to bed. Um, I watched the new dubbed episode of Attack on Titan, and um, there was a point where someone offered like their enemy some tea, and one of the most disgusting ways to describe it was was used. They're like, oh, "We don't want to drink whatever pig piss you call tea." It's like, ugh, <laughs> that's gross. I don't care if you're trying to be mean about it. That's just a nasty thing. To, <laughs> so you could have said anything else. But um, <laughs> anyway, 